are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 107.7 and 105.3 from New Orleans. Hello everyone and welcome to Fika. Our guest today, visiting from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is Barbara Van Katteruman. Barbara is an attorney and moderator specializing in family law. She's also the award-winning indie author of the Jamie Quinn Mystery Cozy Mystery Series, a memoir, The Accidental Activist, Justice for the Groveland Four, um, she, which she co-wrote with her son, Josh, about what he learned, exonerating four men, exonerating four men. Just have to excuse me for a minute. I was just chatting with Barbara earlier, so it's hard to get back on track here. But a memoir she co-wrote with her son, Josh, exonerating four falsely convicted men of a terrible crime. There's an essay collection, short stories, flash fiction of a hundred words, and a brand new, and I mean right off the press, hot, brand new young adult novel called Five Fortunes. There's also a children's fantasy in there as well. There's a quote I found in Malice in Miami, the sixth book in the Jamie Quinn mystery series. Jamie, the protagonist, who by coincidence is also an attorney specializing in family law, said this, as a lawyer who relied on words for a living, I knew the, their power to persuade, incite, or heal. And I'm wondering if this is the secret to Barbara's writing, because her books persuade us to live in the now, but there's still some nostalgia in them as well. They incite our passion for justice, but show us that healing can be found when justice is done. In fact, when I picture Barbara writing, I picture her in front of a large board full of a huge number of words, choosing the ones she's going to use carefully. Because being a prolific writer is one thing, but being a prolific writer and good, that takes skills, word skills. Welcome to Fika, Barbara. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk. <laughs> we talk so well, even though it messes up my beginning as I'm thinking about what we were talking about. I apologize for that. And we'll move on, shall we? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay, so the first, oh, what I want to talk about first, because there's so many things to talk about, is your cozy mystery series, The Jamie Quinn series. And I read number six this weekend. It had been sitting on my Kindle, but I had read not because, just because we all know there are many, many books. <laughs> so I got it when it came out and then life happened and I read it last night and I was just so once again entranced by the characters and they were so familiar with me and such good friends that I have to know as a reader before I worry about anybody else here, um, is there going to be a seventh? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm planning, uh, my goal for this year is a seventh Jamie Quinn. And, um, you know, I miss them too. Everyone says I miss the, I miss the gang. And I said, I miss them too. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's a big undertaking to come up with a, a cozy mystery because you need all the red herrings and all the subplots and all the side stories. But, um, I'm definitely planning a seventh, a seventh mystery this year. And we already have a comment, which a question, or is a comment sort of as a question? I'd be thrilled by the idea of Barbara Van Katteruman and Carl Heisen collaborating on a book together. Well, <laughs> I'd certainly be thrilled too, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know that that's in the works, but, um, 
that's a very good comment because I'm influenced by Carl Hyacin. Like the, the fact that he writes about Florida, he writes about great kooky characters who live in Florida, and he's a really keen observer of the absurd. And um, I, I always say when you're writing a, a Jamie Quinn mystery or anything about Florida, that's all you have to do is read the headlines and you get lots of, lots of material. <laughs> Which is back to our your writing in the now. So thank you, Nicole. And I think this is a question you have to bring up if you see Carl being interviewed somewhere. <laughs> I'd like to see you collaborating with Barbara. <laughs> Maybe we can make it happen. Or sure. You're good with petitions, Barbara. So <laughs> we can do that. Sure. Okay. So we know that there is going to be a seven now, people, and that this one isn't written with with Carl. But we're looking forward to the possibility of one in the future. Now, we keep saying cozy mystery, and that is sort of a sub sub genre of the mystery um, genre. What do you think, what are the rules out there for a cozy mystery? And how do you think you measure up to them? Voila. Great question. Um, well, a cozy mystery, actually it was coined, the phrase was coined, I think, when Murder, She Wrote came out. And it really defined, no one ever talked about cozy mysteries until then. And it defined what a cozy mystery was. And the general rules are, uh, there's, there's no on-screen violence. Uh, there's no, um, you know, no sex on screen, basically, although people break these rules. Um, and the, the, the sleuth is an amateur. It's usually a woman. And there's a small town feel to the, um, to the, to the whole story. And what's funny is if you Google Cozy Mystery, there's people who have one set in a chocolate shop, someone who's a pet sitter, someone who's a, um, a coffee shop, someone who's a house cleaner. They just have all these different um, different roles and jobs. And, and somehow that puts them in the middle of mysteries. But the funniest thing was when I wrote my first one, Death by Didgeridoo, I just um, the story just popped into my head because I was learning how to play the didgeridoo and it was a very heavy instrument. I was learning it only because I had sleep apnea and I thought it would help. And I dropped it and broke a glass table. And I thought, wow, <laughs> this, this is a dangerous thing. So I was swinging it around and my husband said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to see if you could kill somebody with a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> should I be worried? And I was like, so then and then the title pop, popped into my head death by didgeridoo and it just made me laugh and so i thought well who would get killed by a didgeridoo i thought how about a music teacher and who would have done it and i said well maybe his student is falsely accused of it and it's his didgeridoo and i just kept asking questions until i had the story but when i finished the story and i started getting reviews someone said wow this was a good cozy mystery and i thought well i guess that's what i just wrote <laughs> So you didn't choose to write cozy mysteries. No. It was just assigned to you. Yes. And then I said, oh, okay, that is a cozy mystery. So I added that to my keywords. <laughs> because it's all the rage. Mm -hmm. And and so um so things like you don't do any of the no's, it has that small town feel. Even though yeah. uh, you know, it's sort of a suburb, but it it still has that closeness. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I said it in Hollywood, Florida, which is a smaller town and um, it's south of where I actually live, but it does have kind of a small town feel and um, it's a smaller population and, and you do run into the same people all the time. And that's why, you know, I could discuss how the streets are named after, after famous people and how they do things in Hollywood. Because so, it's a part of your life. Yeah. Just as Jamie being coincidentally an attorney um, specializing in family law. <laughs> well, I did write about what I knew about. <laughs> and I have heard a lot of crazy stories over the years of people getting divorced and what what happens. And so. And so, yeah, no, it, it, it gives you write what you know. Right. And, and I think I think that Jamie being in that position does lend to her getting involved in these things in, in it's not far-fetched it's I mean it's far-fetched you always have to suspend <laughs> your disbelief a little bit <laughs> but 
but in general, it's, right. it's, it's, it's a good thing. Okay, so now we're going to get a little deeper. Are we ready to get deep? Sure. <laughs> we started this conversation. Now, last time we spoke about cozy mysteries, it came up that not us, not you or I, so we're not taking any, you know, blame for this, but some people said while reading your cozy novels that you have an intelligent character and that some cozy novels do not. Now, that's more than possible. There are there are cozy novels where the protagonist is probably not all that intelligent. But because some of them are women and some of them are older, many of them are older, like Jessica in Murder, She Wrote, um, do you think there could be some misunderstanding or prejudice towards their way of doing things? Because... Well, you know, um, I... I really, I, I, the older I get, the more I feel that um, if, you know, women want respect, they need to, we need to give it to ourselves. So I would never write a female character who um, does crazy things just for the heck of it. I mean, I think it's about motivation too. I mean, if you look at some of these stories, if the protagonist goes running off to do things, there has to be a reason. Like, I, I mean, why is she getting involved? Why is she even there? Um, why does she think she can do things without calling the police? I mean, to me, it's, there really has to be, um, I mean, obviously you always have to suspend your disbelief for any story, but you don't want people doing dumb things for dumb reasons. That, um, is annoying to the reader. It's annoying to me as a reader. And I, I don't like protagonists who are, you know, uh, female protagonists who just act ditzy. You know what I mean? I, I just, to me, it's, um, it's not a character that's likable to me if they're ditzy or spacey or, or doing things that are crazy for no reason or going off on their own thinking they know more than the police. I mean, I try to give reasons for why things are happening or why Jamie's in a particular place or why she even has an interest. I mean, each book, there's someone close to her that is involved in the mystery and that she wants to help, like her cousin or her boyfriend or... Um, you know, her client, you know, so there's got to be a, a reason for her to even know anything about it or be involved. And so that's how I try to frame my, my stories. So like a rebel without a cause, a character without a cause is not going to come across as intelligent. And that yeah. is the writer's responsibility. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, so when we talk about lack of intelligence, we're talking about the teenagers at a party going into the basement alone. <laughs> During right. a horror, horror right. like, Okay. Right. So that is what they're saying when it comes to intelligence to, right. to clear that up for people. Sure. It's not about the character themselves, not being intelligent. It's about their actions. Right. Taking, taking crazy risks for no reason or doing things that make no sense. Yeah. And Jamie would never, ever do that because we know <laughs> taking risks is not her thing. No. Which brings us to, and Brian, right on time with his question, um, does that, is perfect. So we're going to move up Brian's question here. Okay. So I was going to ask in my words, I know Brian, so I can do this. I was going to in my words um you know jamie grows a lot as a character like a lot in the six books that i've read so far and that is so important to a book Do, did you plan that or did it just happen organically and brian is asking basically the same thing as a writer are you a panster or a plotter that is a great question um as far well you know when i'm planning a story um, I, I have the basic idea, you know, this, this is what's going to happen. And I, I know the end, I know where it's going, but the middle is very mushy <laughs> and things can happen and things can change. And sometimes I get very surprised, like with, um, Jeopardy in July, it's set at an old folks home and Jamie's in the lobby in the opening scene waiting for her clients that she's supposed to meet and she strikes up a conversation. Well, actually somebody there strikes up a conversation with her and he, he was just supposed to be sort of a funny little, you know, aside and he turned into a major character, <laughs> you know, at, at some point I got stuck in the story and I thought, 
well, what about the guy from the beginning? He lives there. <laughs> and he could be, he could really fill this spot. It's sort of like a painter with a palette. And you just say, what color can I, you know, can I use next? And then you say, oh, this one will work. And so you, it, I think that's also like, I don't know if anybody watches Supernatural, but it's like a quiver full of errors. Right? I was going to ask you that because it comes up in your. <laughs> yeah, I love Supernatural. So a quiver full of arrows. And so you can always pull one out and say, I could use this character for this role and this episode and we can have a whole scene about him. So it's just choosing your tools. But I mean, I do always know where it's going to end up, but sometimes I'm not sure exactly how we're going to get there. <laughs> so so you have the destiny yes De the destination yes but it's the journey that's the question <laughs> i think that's quite common in in writing is yeah. that yeah there is it's a dance right plot yeah you know what happens plot what happens right. so um yes supernatural it came up it was in my i was gonna say are you a supernatural fan because you know yeah. die hard here yeah die hard. i've watched all 13 seasons <laughs> off for a while because yeah. it it was getting kind of but then they went back and it, 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 and it got better and you know them's the boys right like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to so back to what we were discussing before susan agrees that the female main ca character gratifies the reader if her actions make sense otherwise yes. it's like i can't even talk about it <laughs> So, it's true. <laughs> Brian, again, um, does your training experience as a lawyer help with the skill set required to be a writer? I think it does because, you know, I mean, a lawyer's tools is, is basically their words. I mean, and their knowledge. But, um, you know, when you write a brief, you're persuading. You're persuading somebody or you're writing a motion. You're persuading the reader to, to um, accept your argument and i think that every story is is a persuasion it's like listen i need you to believe that this is what's going to happen and it makes sense and this person is going to go this way and that's what's going to happen and so i think every writing is persuasion but um of course i can't be humorous when i'm writing as a lawyer <laughs> and um i i much prefer to be humorous if i can <laughs> <laughs> you do it so well <laughs> um so so yes it it is when people say you're talking about your characters like they're real well if you don't believe they're real and don't persuade yourself they're real you're not going to be able to persuade them so That's it starts yeah. it starts right from your lovable characters okay barbara now I'm going to ask another question that is sort of about writing and the timing of your books. Now, as I said before, your writing is right now. Like sometimes I've heard it said, oh, you can't go off. You, you date your book. You do whatever. And I'm just reading it going, oh, I love you, Barbara. You're just, you're just going for everything. The quotes, the everything. I am here in the now. Now, recently we had some... A different way of living back in 2021 and i noticed that your book malice in miami would have been written during that period because it came back out in 2021 mm -hmm. now at that time i was thinking and i'm sure other writers were wouldn't it it's kind of difficult to write right now because you're thinking but what if people continue to wear masks forever or what if they're just so upset about this, they never want to think about it? Like, how am I going to write about the now? Now, you chose to write about the now as if it was just nothing happening out there. You just you just went with it. How did you make that decision? That was a very, very tough decision, you know, because I was in the middle of writing that book. And I thought, you know, things are so different now. Should I reflect that? Should I encompass that? And um I, I decided that uh, I remembered what a lot of readers have said in their comments to me is that I read your books to escape. I, if I wanted reality, I could turn on the TV. I could, <laughs> I could get reality looking out my window. And so, um, you know, I just thought, you know what, I'm writing this for me to escape and I'm writing it for my reader to escape. I just feel like let's all 
pretend we're still, you know, that, and, and it, it was a risk because I thought you're right. We could have a different way of life permanently from now on, but you know, um, I just, I just couldn't, it didn't make sense for the story and it, it wasn't going to be pleasant for me to write it that way. And so I just thought, I'm just going to go for it. Like, you know, the before time or whatever, and pretend we're not in it. And, and then people can, can read it and, uh, and not have to, 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 to get into it. Yeah. To reflect on what was troubling them. I mean, there were so many people that were in such bad shape that they really wanted an escape. And that's what I wanted to give them. And so me. It, it, <laughs> and it me. is fiction writing. And even if things hadn't turned out as lovely as they have, um, people would still be wanting that nostalgia. It yeah. would be fantasy then, that yes. life. Yeah. But it would still be something people would want to read as opposed to the truth. I hope so. And, you know, um, I think you always write the book you want to read. I mean, someone asked J.K. Rowling once, do you write for your, do you write for kids? Do you write for adults? She said, I write for myself. I write the book, the story I want to hear, the story I want to tell. And um, that's really what I'm doing. I just say I have to write the story that I want to write. And hopefully I resonate and connect with people. Oh, I never even thought of that. I'm sorry. I've heard resonate and connect. <laughs> just <laughs> Nico has a good question because... It's such a natural thing in your books. I don't even, I don't even think about it. But, um, and I hope I'm saying Nico, right? You are. Okay. <laughs> what are your thoughts on including representation of different ethnicities, orientations, etc., in your works? Which I must say, they just naturally flow into yours. So, I. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to include um, different people as you can. Uh, I I try to make a little bit of an effort. I mean, I think my FBI, my FBI agent is um, an Indian woman. Um, my most recent book has a has a gay character in it, and my YA novel has a gay character in it. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but um, I I do try to. I also try not to hijack you know, experiences that I don't, that aren't personal to me. That's and I, what makes it complicated, right? right? It is complicated. I don't, um, I can't say I know how people feel, it, you know, walking in other people's shoes. I, I do try to be empathetic and I do try to, I talk to people who are in those positions or in that situation or in that group. And I, I do try, but, um, you know, I'm not going to, Go out of my way to say okay we need someone from you know category a and someone from category b and whatever i mean i do just try to incorporate them naturally if i can well in in florida you have a large like a lot of different we do. ethnicities and, yes. and people and a huge group so it is natural in your books which is why i've never even thought about it but for them to come in because they are living there. They are, they are there. Um, but yes, in some other areas, it would it would seem very, very purposely done. Yeah, I don't want it to look forced. I mean, there is yeah. a there's a Haitian artist in Engaged in Danger, but that you know the child who was adopted is a mixed race child, and one of her relatives is looking for her, and so um, the artist in that book. Um, who happens to be a relative is is a, um, a Haitian woman, a Haitian artist, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I try to where I can fit in the different the different aspects of living in South Florida because there really are a lot of different groups here. <laughs> okay, I'm going to address historical Niagara because I'm married to him, and hun, um, Susan's okay. We already saw her comment. That's why we're not commenting on it. Okay. Um, oh, here's a lovely one for you from Cynthia. Um, she loves your books. Oh, thank you. Made my day. Well, the interview made my day, but that made my day <laughs> double. And your day is going to get even better because Linda says she's looking forward to more. Okay. Like the seventh Jamie Quinn, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. we, all, we all want to see that. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so moving on, we have to move on. There's lots of stuff here, Barbara, although I could just sit with Jamie Quinn all day long. Now, 
accidental activist. Justice for the Groveland 4 that you wrote with Josh is is wonderful. And because of shortage of time, we did a long interview, including Josh, last time we talked. So if anybody wants a lot of background on there and to hear from Josh, just go to YouTube, um, Victoria Young Benison, as you see on the cover, and there it will be. Um, not trying to push the YouTube channel, just trying to push Josh, okay? <laughs> because it was a great interview. So do you want to give us a little synopsis on that? And then I have a question. Um, sure, sure. So um, our son, Josh, when he was in college, um, he read a book called The Devil in the Grove. And it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book about a terribly racist event that happened in Florida in 1949, where four young black men were accused of a heinous crime that they clearly did not commit and um they were tortured and beaten and murdered and incarcerated and convicted and um and then thurgood well thurgood marshall came to represent them and over um was able to overturn the conviction on appeal so the sheriff took the two men and out into a field and shot them one of them survived and he was reconvicted and it was just, you know, it was a terrible thing that um, because of whitewashing, um, we had heard nothing about. I mean, I'm a Florida native. I'd never heard about Groveland. And um, it took this author, Gilbert King, he got the FBI files reopened and he did five years worth of research and he, he wrote this book and it won a Pulitzer Prize and it became part of um, you know, the curriculum, which may not last, but it did become part of the curriculum at the Florida University. Josh, our son read it and he was so just horrified and moved by it. He said, I really want to help these families clear the, their, the names of their loved ones who were all gone at that point. So, um, you know, it had been like 69 years and, you know, nobody had been able to get them pardoned. Not even this Pulitzer Prize winning book had had moved the moved. needle so when josh said well i think I'll, I'll write a petition i'll start a petition i thought well that's really admirable but you aren't going to move the needle either right i mean so he uh, i helped him find the um the daughter of the youngest man Char so charles greenlee's daughter carol greenlee and they teamed up and they they started a petition and um you know, Josh was always a stubborn kid, and I didn't realize how much his <laughs> stubbornness was going to come into play, but he would not take no for an answer, and anytime he hit a wall, he would find another way around it, and um, it took four years, but eventually they were all posthumously pardoned, and it was amazing, and so we kept telling Josh he should write it down, write it down so he doesn't forget. And also it was such a great lesson on how to be an activist. Here's a kid who doesn't have money, knowledge, experience, connections, nothing. And he got this done. And so um, finally I said, okay, I'll help you. And so we wrote this, co-wrote this book that doesn't tell the whole story because that was told by Devil in the Grove, but it's really a primer for activism and how to be an activist wherever you are. I mean, pick a cause and go for it. It's amazing what you can accomplish and how many people joined the fight and how, how, um, you know, fortuitous some of the connections were, you know, you just, someone popped up who said, I can help you do this, or I can help you do that. And it just seemed like the right person at the right time. And it got done. And then they also got exonerated. Their names were cleared after that. And um, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing to see. I was so proud of him and so happy to be able to just see history being made and and that i think as you pointed out is the importance of this book and this is definitely why i want to bring it up because at this time there's been so much going on in the world and there is so much and but i've always thought put it away unless you can do something active about it if you can't take action then you know there's nothing you can do and so this book i think particularly for young people is it does it goes through you know contact this person even if you're afraid to because they're this big great you know name and and you're just this contact them anyways it just go ahead and, and it has every step along the way of what josh did so yes it's the primer 
on activism and still living your life. Like I want to go in, Josh has done this amazing thing that nobody was capable of doing, but now he's taking some time to live his life. Right. That is true. He is true. Yeah. Yeah. But social justice is always something he wants to, you know, to mm -hmm. work on. And, you know, this was, this was a really amazing thing that happened. And, uh, but it shows you that anybody can do anything if you just keep, you know, there were so many times they could have given up or said, forget it. And it's just like, it's just not an option. <laughs> so choose you. I would, I would say the lesson is choose what you're going to do. Choose your, your, instead of being overwhelmed by everything, because that's easy to do, choose what you're going to do and follow through with it to the best of your capabilities. That's it. Perfect. So, so one, one, one thing to, to go. Okay. So that wasn't, quite a question that was more of a commentary, but I just wanted to put it out there because I think this book would be so helpful for so many people who are just lost and yeah. overwhelmed. And it's right. like, choose one thing and go for it, baby. Yeah. It's really, it's inspiring because it's just like, you just keep on, keep on going, you know? And you, it, it, and I think the thing is too, it's like, if you hit a wall, you say, well, what's a different approach? What's a different thing I can do? And sometimes it was just a matter of timing. I mean, sometimes you just hit a wall and you just had to wait a little while and then, but you have to always be open to the opportunities. Like, is this an opportunity? Is this a, you know, is this, can this person help with this cause? And you never know. I mean, it's a lesson for life. Really. Yeah. If you want to get somewhere, this is, this is the way to go. Just ask for help, ask mm -hmm. anybody. And yeah, I would, well, and it wasn't short. It took how many years for him? Four years. years. Four years. Four years. When you're young, four years is a long time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a lifetime. So, right? so stick with it and, and keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. Okay. Hi, Josh. Hope you're doing good. <laughs> there it goes. Is there a place for social justice issues in fiction while still keeping the story readable? Um, with Barbara? Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> Alice in Miami. She's being so good today. <laughs> but I'm not saying good. I mean, she's being, she's staying on topic is what I'm saying. Okay. So, yeah. Barbara. Well, I think if you read Jamie Quinn, you would answer that question in the affirmative because she's always trying to, you know, throw in some social justice issues. Um, in one case, while her father is an immigrant who's trying to get his visa. And so, that gave me the the room to talk about immigration issues and talk about what people are going through you know from the point of view of an immigrant and uh there's uh also there was there's a food bank involved and, and environmental yeah. issues yeah. environmental is, issues yeah. so um i would say that barbara doesn't just think that there is room for one issue um there's at least three or four issues in that one cozy novel as it is, but never ever being preachy because it's all part of the story, right? This is where the scandals and the things grow from. So, um, yeah. I like to think my stories are readable. That was, yes, they are. You wouldn't be here if they weren't readable. No, okay. All right. Good. I have to, you know, it's an integrity issue. If I'm saying Barbara is a wonderful author, then she better be wonderful. Wow. And and if she messes up, we'll have words. Okay. <laughs> They'll be funny words, but we'll have words all the same. That was a great question, Brian. You're Brian. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move on from, because we're all over the place. This is, this, if I appear to be overwhelmed, it's not my fault. It's Barbara's because ah. it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love her. I love her. Okay. So now we're down to short stories and in particular, which are wonderful. And in particular, your idea of flash fiction of a hundred words, because I'm loving, I'm, 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 I'm loving them. Um, and the idea, why did you choose well, first of all, explain a little because I didn't do that very well. Do my job and explain what 100 word flash fiction is and why you chose to do it. Okay, well, um, flash fiction is for me, I do, I've always used it as a writing exercise. 
Like if I have a hundred word paragraph, I will challenge myself. Can you get this down to 50 words and keep the meaning? And um, because tight writing is really my goal. I just, I don't, I don't want to meander. I mean, not to say there isn't a time to meander, but uh, I, you can still have tight writing and meander. So I, I've always used it as a, an exercise. I think I started when I was helping my kids with their college essays and they, <laughs> I was editing their essays and they would have 150 words and then, you know, they would have 400 words and I'd have to cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. And so you just realize how you can, you know, change stood up to rose, gave in, capitulate. You know, you can just find a better word and always, always try to reduce two words to one or three words to one. And so I would, I used to do flash fiction for exercise, um, for writing exercises. And then I even entered some flash fiction contests where you had to, you know, tell an entire story in like 200 words you know, including the title. And it was just, it was fun for me. Like some people do crossword puzzles. Some people do Sudoku. I like to just write some, a short story, a very, very short story. So then um, I thought, wouldn't it be fun to just start writing some flash fiction? And I have so many friends and relatives who keep telling me they want to write, they want to write, they want to write. And I said, well, anyone can write a hundred words. So why don't we just do this for fun? And we started with Halloween and we did scary shorts and everyone had to write a story of a hundred words with a Halloween theme. You know, that was the only, you know, parameter was a Halloween theme. And my brother-in-law wrote a scary story and some friends did. And, um, um, so my, my, my nephew did, and it was just so much fun. And so we said, well, let's do it for Christmas. So we did holiday shorts and we had Santa Claus wearing shorts and we <laughs> did a bunch of, you know, a hundred word stories. And so then we were like, Hey, why don't we do Valentine shorts? So we did Valentine and then we did dog days of summer. So the, the, the theme was very broad. It was just summer. It just had to evoke summer. And um, I reached out to other authors I knew on Goodreads and it was just like the most fun project. It really was. And to see where everyone's creativity took them and, um, some people, I had to say, you know, this isn't really a story. <laughs> this is just like, a, you know. But it and, is. I, I've read them, and there is a whole complete story there. That's because I edited. <laughs> and I, oh, okay, so right. you're saying their particular, yeah, okay. I sent okay, some I, back. I sent some back and said, can some, you got to make something happen. <gasps> something has to happen. <laughs> you were an editor. <laughs> I was, I edited them. And um, I was very demanding, but, and it was hard because some of these people were strangers to me, like these Goodreads authors and, you know, they were authors. And I said, well, you know, I like the idea, but nothing really happens. I said, what, a, what if you did it this way? Or what if you added this? And they were all very gracious and they fixed it and changed it up and everything. And um, so it was so much fun. And I, you know, I did it so that other people could also, you know, get their name out there. Cause like this, our book is listed on all the authors, author pages. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a really fun thing to do. And, and I, well, I, I realized we needed more to really fill up the book. And I ended up writing like 60 of them, I think. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And one day I'm just sitting in my room and I had both closets open so I could see my husband's clothes and my clothes. And I said, Wow, if you look at those clothes, we look like we go together. And I said, wouldn't be, that be a funny dating service if people just matched the clothes to, you know, to figure out <laughs> if they were compatible? So I made that into a Valentine story about that a woman had tried every dating service under the sun. So she finally, out of desperation, tries the one where the lady matches up your clothes <laughs> to decide Honestly, if you're compatible. Yeah. I, I'm thinking there's some relevance to that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a whole new business there you came up with in the short story. I think. Right? I know. I, I, I think. So we've established that you believe that concise writing is one of the most important. Aspects. Well, I think I call it tight writing because, tight you know, writing. yeah, you just don't want fluff that shouldn't be there. Right. I remember reading a story by an author I know who I think, I mean, an author that everyone knows. And um, she, I don't know if she had a word count to meet or a page count to meet, but at one point she said, I showered and shampooed my hair. And I thought, did I need to know that? I'm like, unless <laughs> you just got someone dumped eggs on your head or something, did I need to know you shampooed your I mean, she might as well tell me, and I use herbal essence and you know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> it's just, 
don't have time time for that. No, (laughs) neither, neither do I. I think sometimes, you know, we're building your, the writer is building the scene in their head and then that scene is put out on the paper, but yeah, that's when the cutting and and the tightness. Right. Well, every book I've, yeah, every book I've read on writing says every scene needs to serve a purpose and it either needs to move the plot forward or introduce, I mean, um, you know, develop your characters or, or, um, you know, there just, or, or there needs to be a change, but so, every scene needs to serve a purpose. And I take that further to like every word to serve a purpose. I don't want to know if you're shampooing your hair unless it's relevant to the story. So for, um, for the readers, flash fiction is fun to read. And that is something that you can read with your coffee in the morning, just, just mm-hmm. for, uh, but it also hopefully will make that writer's um, reading that writer more enjoyable because mm-hmm. you're not taking time to read about what kind of shampoo. <laughs> right. I know. And flash fiction doesn't have to be a hundred words. It can be anything. I mean, there's well, no, it, yeah. <clears throat> 200 words, 250, I mean, 300. I mean, that's still flash fiction. It's saying it's up to 1,500 yeah. on the site, yeah. which is, yeah. which is why I say 100 words because yeah i don't want people thinking this is like 1500 words no this is being put off in 100 words a complete story and uh-huh. uh, that does take skills so so check it out try it i mean like you said it's something ever, anybody can write 100 words and, and yeah and it's fun it's, it's fun just to or like just as a writing boost right as as a little remedy because yeah, I'm sure a lot of people get bogged down in that same plot, that same story, right. day and in, a, yeah. day out. And a lot of people need to write for for their for their livelihood. They they writing is you know part of their and to be able to write clearly and so that everyone knows what you mean without like saying did they mean this or did they mean that? I mean, and um and and to write concisely, it's just it's an important skill for everyone to have. Also to write persuasively, but but you know you want to be clear and you want to be concise. And so I take I challenge anyone to take a hundred words or two hundred words that they've written and cut it in half. Like see if you can condense it down, because it, you know punctuation is your friend. <laughs> you know commas help a lot, but it, it's so it's such a good writing exercise. It really is, and. Um, you know, there, there's just, it's important to be clear in, in, in your writing and no matter what you do. And hopefully, and it's more reflective of the communication we actually do in real mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Well, some people go on and on but about their shampoo. But <laughs> <laughs> and then you can still give a lot of information. Like here you are a woman who's like tight writing. That's it. People we're just going there. And you still dealt with a murder uh, relationship three social issues, uh, all right. friends, all in your last book. And you know what, on the shampoo, on the topic of shampoo, I am guilty because at one point I said, um, someone was freshly showered and their hair smelled like coconut. Okay. So I did use shampoo, I guess, but it was part of the story that they had just come from a very grungy job and had taken a shower and they smelled like coconut because, you know, you want to bring smells and tastes and senses into things. Atmosphere. It creates Right. But I thought that's more important than saying she showered and shampooed her hair. Anyway, that's just my Oh my, my goodness. You opinion. do think about every word that you use. <laughs> <laughs> She's still thinking about that one. Should I have said it was coconut? <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with shampoo now. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So we, we, we talked about the 100 word flash fiction, the essays, uh, when most, oh wait, we have a flash fiction, um, and a comment. Okay. We, every word is sacred. Every word is great. If an editor removes anything, the author gets irate. <laughs> but you're, 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 your guys didn't get IREA when you when you no. showed them a better way. Which is the question. Do you use <laughs> oh if you need to, you already took out all the words. Do you use an editor yourself? Like a, a professional editor hire someone or you've worked with words so much that Yeah, I don't use an editor. I, I edit as I go. I'll also that comment, I do like haikus. I think that's excellent. Um and it's an excellent exercise and it's also a, you know, poetry is good for the soul. So haikus are, are good therapy, but um, 
I don't use an editor. I edit as I go. And I just, I just feel like there's a time where a word won't sound right to me or a sentence and I'll work it and work it, work it. And then I just, I really can't move on if, if something's not right. But if a word is wrong, I, and I'll go to the thesaurus and I'll get like six different words and I'll put them all in and like hyphen, 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 like, you know, which one is this going to work? And I, then I might, if I, I can't solve the problem at that moment, I will walk away and come back, you know, I'll go to the next chapter. And then every time I go to write, I read what I've already written. And then sometimes, it's, you know, the 24 hour brain while I'm sleeping, the right word popped into my head and I fix it so that I'm happy with it. But, um, but that being said, as I write, I have three wonderful sisters and a wonderful mother-in-law who are my readers and they read as I write and they, you know, they'll all tell me, Hey, I think you got a typo here. Hey, this doesn't make sense to me, or I'm not sure who we're talking about here. So they um, keep me focused, but they also keep me uh, writing because they'll be like, where's the next chapter, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so you have a support team. I and do. That is, and you are obviously have word skills and are obsessed with them. So <laughs> this is this is your thing and right up your alley. So it's not a, okay. It's just a question I ask sometimes yeah. because, you know, people are always indie writing really old, but it's also relatively new to a lot of people. And there are sure. a billion books. Out there. Yeah. I know. Um, and it's which ones to go to and which ones not to. And they want to know that they're doing their best for a professional job. Uh, and there's different ways of doing that, of course. And I, I will promise that Barbara's books are polished. They, they definitely are. She has just found her way of doing things. And I wouldn't mess with her way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I haven't had, ja I haven't had Jamie. Remember Jamie went off on um, the farmer's market and why there wasn't an apostrophe? Was it one farmer's market? Yes. Was it all <laughs> She's even criticizing bad grammar within her book. <laughs> okay, so. Well, I do. I have a book called Tea Time with Mrs. Grammar. You do? Oh, right, right. Yeah. I have that. And actually, some of those rules are quite, they stick with you. They stick uh, yeah. with you and, and you remember and you remember them. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of manners and grammar and all that is proper in this world, you write essays. And a lot of people, when they hear the essays, there then is a moan because yeah. they just remember get a, getting assigned essays and doing them on Sunday night as quickly as they <laughs> possibly could yeah. and whatever. So what do essays mean to you? And why write them, Barbara? That is a really good question. Um, for me, essays are always, I try to make them humorous. I think um, I would say 99% of mine are humorous. Some of them might be kind of a rant, but <laughs> you know, like what are the, what, what is the scale of pain when the doctors ask you for the scale of pain between one and 10? How do I, what is my pain to your pain? Is it an ant bite? Is it screaming and, you know, I, I don't really understand the scale of pain, but I did try to make that one funny too. So I guess I just, um, to me, an essay is just, I have some thoughts on a subject and I want to, um, or something has happened to me. It, it's always a personal experience. And, um, but I think it's one that people can relate to and they're all pretty short. It's not like, I mean, everything I write is short, but um, the essays are just I, like the dinner party when I invited all my friends and they all had different food allergies and different problems. And I kept tweaking the menu till it turned into an absolute disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but yet that's relevant to all of us because, you know, Christmas dinners or, yeah. or, or any kind of festivity that you, that you invite the entire family right. to. It's not as simple as it used to be. Right. I try to, I try to write about something that most people can relate to. It and so, right. or, or something, you know, I have a, I'll have a thought, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm cleaning my pool. I'm in the pool. And then this, there's this tiny little frog stuck on the tile and he can't get out. And so I give him my finger to give him a boost out and he decides he likes my finger. So we clean the pool together. We just go around the pool and he's sitting on my finger and I'm just thinking about the frog. And then, so I started doing funny stories about the frog, but then at the end I was thinking, Hey, this frog was going to eat mosquitoes that have diseases. And I know someone who had a mosquito borne disease. I'm like, listen, you got to get off my finger. You got a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, I can say that that Barbara's essays are fun. 
because Barbara is fun. So <clears throat> she has to put these thoughts somewhere. <laughs> and and we get to be the happy recipients of of those words and those thoughts when we read her essays. So they are not boring. They are not as essay, because essays is having a thought and then proving that thought to be viable, right? Yes. And Barbara's life is having a case and proving that case is viable. So it's a natural outlet of creativity for her. And I think all of us, if we sat down and, and wrote out why we feel a certain way and looked for the proof that was there, not just what we wanted to be the proof, it would be better for all of us. Yeah, I think writing is very good therapy. I think it's very good clarification for just your life goals or what you're feeling or what you're doing. And um, it, it helps you. I mean, they say they even, I mean, therapists now say, just write down what you're, you know, write down your feelings. And even if you're writing down negative things, it's, it's helpful to you. It's, it, it's, it removes the jumble. Yeah. It, it clarifies. Removes. It's good clarity. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a memory box. And right. it puts it down and you can burn it. Just right. like okay. I'm going to bring some attention to Linda here because I feel she is your sister. And she is bringing <laughs> a lot of enjoyment to me by going through your work. So before when I asked if Barbara had an editor, this popped up. I didn't see it right away from Linda. If only you had loving sisters to read chapter by <laughs> chapter and help you edit. Oh. And then when Barbara did mention that she had loving sisters that did that was a ha. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you, Linda and other loving sister who, <laughs> and mother who bring reading enjoyment yeah. to me by, by checking out Barbara's books and making yeah. sure she does everything right. Yes, that's right. They take care. They make sure it's all right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Helen would like to know when you first discovered that you enjoyed writing. When did the bug start? Oh, that's so funny. When I was in second grade, I wrote a poem about ducks. And the teacher liked it so much, she wrote it out and put it on the wall. And I thought, hey, this is good. I <laughs> like this writing. <laughs> <laughs> I was famous in, in second grade. I don't know. I've always written. I've always, you know, kept notebooks and just wrote down ideas for stories. And I'll write a page, like the first page. I'll write a thought. I'll write a paragraph. And it never went anywhere. And in, um, then I started writing essays because I just thought, you know, I could write an essay. And, um, and I enjoyed writing the essays. And then I self-published them. And, you know, I just felt like if everyone either no one reads it or the people who read it go, this is garbage. I could just take it down again. <laughs> but, you know, oh, the best compliment I ever got, I think, was some some stranger read my essays and left a review on Amazon. And it said, this book really cheered me up when I was feeling down. And I thought, well, if, you know, if I could connect with total strangers and make them have, you know, feel better when they're feeling down. Who could ask for more than that? I one mean, person, just yeah. one person. And and I'm sure you made much more, but just knowing that you made a difference to that one person. Yeah. Yes. I, there was a, yeah. And then someone I, uh, who reviewed some of my other books, she said, I just had the worst day of my life. My mother-in-law has Alzheimer's. I had to take care of her all day. I mean, I had no reason to laugh my entire day. And then I sat down and read your stories and it made me laugh. And I want to thank you for that. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, that's what I, I want to connect. That is really why I write is just to connect with people and, um, you know, and give them a laugh, give them a smile, have them walk away, you know, their escape from reality. Why not? <laughs> so I want. Okay. Helen, you're just coming up with better things than me people. So um, what do you think Helen asks? What do you think about the idea that there's a novel inside everyone? Well, I think everyone has interesting stories to tell. I'm not sure. I mean, writing is um, writing is really hard. It's work. <laughs> it's and so hard. It's so hard. I mean, you just, you know, you get, it, it's a skill. It's like no one sits down at the piano and expects to play Mozart. Right. You got to learn how to play scales. You got to practice, practice, practice. And um, writing is the same way. No one can sit down and write. I certainly couldn't. I've read like a hundred books on writing. I've, you know, done a lot of, um, I've read, you know, thousands of books and I, I've practiced writing. And I think 
you know, everybody can write something. I just think, you, you know, if you want to, you can do it. I mean, as far yeah, as we, a novel, yeah, novels a hard, that's a hard thing. It's like saying, can anyone write um, an opera? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I can't write an opera. <laughs> no. no, I think you're right. And I think it's also unfortunate that we immediately go to book or novel or whatever, because there is essays, there are short stories. There's a million ways to use that writing to make yourself feel better and to benefit. Okay. Yes. Unfortunately, we are running, we have five minutes left uh, because time goes so quickly here at FICA. And first of all, I wanted to say, Barbara did mention that when these people wrote her, it made her feel very good. And that, once again, is what I want to put out there, people. The, uh, authors are sitting there for days, working hours and hours on this piece of work, and they read they get very little feedback on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so write them, write them on your Goodreads. She has an excellent Goodreads page. She keeps it up to date and, and she keeps it going and she answers questions. So go on her Goodreads page and tell her, Barbara, we love you. Okay. Aw, and well, if we... you reach out and friend me, I'll friend you, no kidding. <laughs> She is. She is. She's a very friendly person. Also, I haven't read it yet, so I want her to tell us a little bit about Five Fortunes. Four okay. Yeah. I, so the idea, I just had two books come out. One was Duck for Cover, which was just Tales with a Twist. I was aiming for O. Henry. And then um, Five Fortunes is a story I started eight years ago with my niece. We were just, we were just uh, brainstorming and we decided, we said, let's write a story about five teenagers who get their fortunes from, you know, a machine in the arcade and how those fortunes change their lives. Like not in a magical way, but in a way that they, some of them believe them, some of them don't. They, you know, they start deciding whether these fortunes are affecting their lives and, um, and so she and I started this book and we we cut out pictures from magazines of what the girls look like and what their backstory was. And then we kind of left it alone. And every once in a while I would say, hey, do you want to work on Five Fortunes? And it'd be like, yeah, maybe. But so finally I just said, you know what? I, I, I'm really daunted by writing about 14 year olds being 61 myself, but I will channel my inner 14 year old. And we will, and I remember all the, the drama of friends and arguing with my mother and I thought, I can remember what it's like to be 14. So uh, I Googled what they wear and what they say, and what they do. And I wrote a story about five 14 year old friends and what they go through with their fortunes and, and their lives. And uh, it was a lot of fun to write. And um, I even got a 14 year old who said she liked it and she was going to share it with her friends so they could all talk about it. So that was really exciting. Fantastic. And it's, yeah. and it's a great premise because yeah. they do, things do get into our heads that make yeah. us. So it's a good, it's, it's a good, it's, uh, maybe I'll have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, I will. Yeah. Okay. And I want to send, Talon says, Thank you for this interview. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I think, yeah, we're all saying thank you because it's so much fun. Oh, I love <laughs> chatting you. with you, Vicky. Like, no, so much fun. I have to bring people closer together. <laughs> no, we have we have the little machines, and maybe and when you're close together, you never ever seem to have time to actually meet up for coffee or anything. Yeah. Anyways, because everybody's so busy. So this is yeah. great. Get that next book done, and then okay. I can bring you back. Okay. <laughs> And bring you back to talk about anytime, anything okay. that you want to talk about, Barbara. Oh, so take you. care. And thank you and so much. This was so much fun. I'm wishing you guys and Josh well. Okay. Always, always. Thank okay. You. Okay. So we're going to say goodbye to Barbara now. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and like magic, she's gone. And I am bigger than normal. Okay. Next week, um, we're going, our guest will be. Brad Gervais, and for something different, he writes fantasy action, um, yeah, fantasy action series. The Last Witch of Rome and Children of the Sphere. So I'm particularly, I love The Last Witch of Rome because I think there should be a whole genre of female gladiators and warriors. I mean, I've been hooked on that since Cena. So <clears throat> until then, may your coffee be hot and your story is sweet. Thanks for listening, everyone.